Uh, one quick more announcement, one more quick announcement. Um, on the screen, you'll notice that uh, the uh, Growth and Grace Institute marches on. We uh, will resume this coming Saturday. Um, if you're interested, you don't have to sign up. You don't have to buy anything. Uh, you don't even have to stay after the break uh, if you don't want to, uh, if it's that bad. Um, uh, it's level two. The first course is basic Christianity. What I'm going to try to do is just um, uh, cover quickly in a couple hours the essentials of um, what Christianity holds. Um, and then, as you'll notice in there, the little orange thing, which I thought was cute. I didn't do that, I, but it was a great idea. Expanded faculty. <laughs> we, uh, Brady uh, Johnston is going to teach a course at the same time, 10 o'clock to noon, Saturday morning. Uh, and his, cl- his course is on discipleship. So you'll have two courses going on at the same time. Uh, you can go to his, you can go to mine. I encourage you to go to his. Um, but um, that's this Saturday, 10 o'clock. Hope uh, if you're interested, it costs you nothing. I'll have a cup of coffee for you. That'll be about it. But we'd love to uh, include you in this, what we consider to be a, a package. A, uh, that's what GG is. It's a discipleship package. Level one, level two, level three. All right. One other thing, just by way of housekeeping. Um, you know, guys, um, tis the season, at least for people like me, uh, allergies return, um, fall, spring, I get overtaken. Um, I, I, then, then you add on top of that uh, the, uh, all kinds of you know, mental illnesses, um, that I have, uh, nerves, reflux, you know, it's just a mess. The reason I say that all to you is that because I cough, and I hate it that I cough on you. It's not that I cough on you, but at you, and I can't avoid this little thing right here. I can't, you know, I can't cover it up, you know. I, I'm just sorry. I, I'm, that's all I can tell you. Um, I'm, I'm not sick. It's just allergies and age, so... Um, so now I'm not going to say it again, uh, you know, I just want to warn you that the, the, tis the season. All right, now, you follow as I read, beginning at verse 15, um, and I'll go through verse 22. And in that section we find these words. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law... Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, 
there is no forgiveness of sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, it would, <clears throat> it would be difficult for me to overstate the, um, just how complex is this passage that I just read you. Um, were I to try and explain it, um, I, I think I would probably bore you, which is the second greatest sin of the pulpit. The first greatest sin is to lie to you. But um, um, I'm afraid that I would um, lose you in my effort to try and explain all this here. But just, just quickly, take a look with me at some of the topics that are raised. Just look at verse 15. Um, Therefore, he is the mediator. Well, that's a big word. Mediator? Ooh, important word that we could spend a lot of time on, just that word. Mediator of a new covenant. Mm, we've talked about that a little bit, new covenant thing. Um, so that those who are called, oh my goodness, I would love to take some of your time to talk about effectual calling and the beauty thereof, um, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Oh, there's, there's, um, there's my safety. There's my eternal safety right there, an eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Oh my goodness, what's the difference between the first covenant and then the, uh, and the new covenant that's mentioned right there in that same verse? And then from there, you go to verses 16 and 17, which talk about the death of the testator, uh, which is a rather complex issue. Um, <clears throat> guys, please don't hear me saying that none of this is important. It is, it is all wonderfully important, and it would make, it's, it's, it's very worthy of your attention and your, um, your study. All I'm saying is this. Um, in the 35 minutes or so, that is allotted to me on, um, on a Sunday morning, it would be well nigh impossible for me to explain that uh, to anyone's satisfaction who is listening. But what we can do, I think, and I hope beneficially for God's people, is that we can um, head straight to the, um, the heart of the passage, which is a familiar statement, it's found in verse 22. It's not even the whole statement, but I know you've, you've heard this before. It is um, that last half of verse 22 where the author writes, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Um, what you have in that half of a verse is an essential law of God's moral government. Um, it is not complex. It is not that hard to understand. And yet, I think you know that billions of people reject the truth contained in it. It is not, um, um, it's not because it's so complex. It's simply because I don't like it. Guys, it is a very emphatic statement, as you can see. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Very emphatic. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. 
And, however, there is forgiveness of sin with the shedding of blood. Now, guys, do you know what that is? That's another one of those exclusive claims that you find in the New Testament that the world absolutely hates. It's in that category, uh, you know the one, uh, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The world just hates that kind of statement. You Christians, you think you've got an exclusive claim on the truth. Guilty as charged. Um, An essential law of God's moral government is simply that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The world hates that stuff. And, and, and besides that, um, Islam has no shed blood in it. Buddhism doesn't have any shed blood in it. Uh, Hinduism doesn't have any shed blood in it. Um, Judaism doesn't have any shed blood in it anymore. So if that's true, that they don't have any shed blood... And verse 22 is true. Do you see what you've just said about those religions? But I mean, Dr. Young, um, is there there any latitude in verse 22? None. Um... Are there any exceptions? No. Um, Can I have my sin forgiven based on my morality? No. Uh, Can I have my sin forgiven based on my baptism? No. Can I have my sin forgiven based on my intelligence? No. Can I have my sin remitted based on my church membership? No. Can I have my sin forgiven on the basis, based on my religious position? No. Well, can I have my sin forgiven if I really get committed? No. Well, what if I were to give up my adultery and and my drinking and my dishonesty? Can I have my sin forgiven then? No. Well, what if I... What if I say certain incantations all the while thumbing through a set of beads? Can my sin be forgiven then? No. The unavoidable essential law of God's moral government is that apart from the shedding of blood, Forgiveness simply does not exist. 
the only route to forgiveness and thus reconciliation with God is through the shedding of blood. And by the way, the word shedding, um, it, simply, it simply points us to the, to the violent, the forcible taking of blood. The text doesn't say uh, without the losing of blood or without the giving of blood. It says without the shedding of blood. Uh, for example, um, if, if Jesus Christ had pricked his finger and squeezed out a, um, a few drops of blood, would, would that have worked? No, it wouldn't have worked. Um, it's more like this. Do you, do you remember when Jesus was crucified? He was crucified in between two thieves. Remember that? And as the day wore on, they got kind of impatient. They decided, you know, we need to uh, hasten this, their demise. And so they went out and broke the legs of the two thieves, you know, so that they couldn't push up anymore and basically suffocated. Um, <clears throat> but when they came to Jesus, they realized he was already dead. And so they did this. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. That's the forcible taking or shedding of blood. That is, when it represents the, the giving and the offering of a life. Now guys, admittedly, this whole blood thing, it's a, it's a rather, um, oh, distasteful uh, topic of conversation. So unsavory, don't you think? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, um, blood is a central motif in, in all of the Bible. It's everywhere in, in the Bible, especially in this section of the book of Hebrews. And, and because it is so prominent in this section of Hebrews, I wanted to take a few minutes, maybe six or eight minutes, maybe longer, and I wanted to show you just how frequently you're going to find this whole thing called, about blood. <clears throat> okay? Because it is a central motif, although distasteful and unsavory, not exactly what you'd call um, parlor talk, but it's everywhere in here. Um, <clears throat> for example, it first shows up in Genesis chapter 3, third chapter of the Bible, right after creation. You remember the story? God says, there are all those trees out there you can eat of. You can eat of any one you want, except there's one. There's one that, you know, uh, uh, one that you can't eat of. And of course, Satan enters and, and fixes their attention on the one prohibition instead of all the liberties that they have. He tries to tempt them to believe that he's telling them the truth and that God isn't. They ultimately believe him and they disobey. And then you know what happens upon their disobedience. They, uh, they immediately realize just how awful the thing that they've done is. And so they, they say to each other, we need to um, run over and find God and tell him how sorry we are. And that doesn't happen, does it? In fact, they run over to the bushes is where they run. 
And they hide themselves and try to cover themselves with fig leaves. You, you know that story. And then God calls them together. All three of them. Satan, Adam, and Eve. And he issues a declaration of judgment on all three of them. First the serpent. And then there's um, Eve. And then comes Adam. When he is finished with his denouncements, this is what we find. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, ladies and gentlemen, where did those skins come from? Animals. Animals that had to be killed. And, and, and oh, what Adam and Eve must have thought as they, as they watched God killing a couple of animals. Um, what is that red stuff? <laughs> I mean, was it our sin? That, that required that? Yes. Um, how silly of us to think that fig leaves could cover our shame when only, when only uh, skins from a slain animal could. And oh, how grateful we are that God saw fit to extract the blood of a substitute, not ours. So there it is. First chapter, third, uh, chapter three. <clears throat> the next, for the next mention of blood, we have to go all the way over to the next chapter. Genesis four. And there's Adam and Eve who have discovered the dead body of their son, Abel. And there it lies, in a pool of blood. And right over there is the murder weapon stained with blood. And they wonder, why did this happen? And you say, well, I know why it happened. It was jealousy. Well... Sort of, but it's, a whole, it's much worse than that, ladies and gentlemen. You remember what happens? Um, Cain decides he's going to approach God, and he's going he's to approach God and bring a basket of fruit. Now, it was very nice fruit, very nice, and it was in a very nice basket. Had a ribbon on it, I mean, it just really looked nice. Had a little potpourri in there, perhaps. Um, but he was rejected. But his brother, knowing better, approaches God and he brings blood and he's accepted and then the jealousy because guys um, Cain reasoned that I can design my own way to approach God I'll, I'll, I'll determine how it is that I can come before God and I choose fruit. 
It didn't work. But there again, you see blood. Or, or how, about, how about over in the book of Exodus, the very next book, you know, in the book of Exodus, remember those ten plagues? You remember God had to go to the backside of a mountain and get Moses and send him back to Egypt and said, I want you to get my people out of there? And so Moses appears before Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, um, Yahweh says, let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh says, you've got to be kidding. What are you thinking, bozo? I'm not letting your people go. And so God decides he'll turn up the pressure on Pharaoh. And so you remember the plagues. That's when the plagues come. There was the water that was turned into blood. Uh, then there were the frogs. Oh, lots and lots of frogs. And uh, then there were the gnats and the flies. And then he killed their livestock. And then there were the boils and the hail and the locusts. And then the darkness that could be felt. But none of that achieved the extraction of God's people Israel out of Egypt. So there was one more, a tenth one. It's uh, discussed for you in chapter 12 of Exodus. It's, uh, remember there was a, uh, an unblemished lamb that was taken and out of the herd and killed and the blood collected and they were instructed to um, paint that blood on the doorpost. Remember that? And there was the death angel. Um, imagine, imagine you were, you, you know, you painted the blood over there or the death angel was going to kill the firstborn. Remember that? Imagine you were a firstborn child living in with your mom and dad there in, in Egypt. And you've been hearing about all this from your mom and you've been overhearing their conversations with their friends. And, and you hear about all that God is doing, you know, all these plagues, and, you, and you've seen some of it, you know? I mean, it is, a, it is a dramatic time in the life of Israel. And then Daddy comes home from a meeting that he had earlier in the morning, and he's been told that by all of Israel's elders that there's going to be one more. One more plague. And um, the death angel's going to come and slay the firstborn. But the only way to avoid that is that you take blood from an unblemished lamb and you paint it over the doorpost of your house. So the day um, marches on and nighttime comes and your mom and dad tuck you, the seven-year-old, and into, their bed, into your bed. And um, as your daddy's leaving, you say, uh, <clears throat> uh, Daddy, um, um, have you painted blood on the doorpost? Well, not yet, son. No, I haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, I'll get to it later. And so there you lie, petrified, wide awake. Now, I can't sleep knowing there's no blood out there. And so about an hour later, hour goes by, <clears throat> you, um, <clears throat> you call to your mom and dad and you say, Daddy, have you painted that blood on the doorpost yet? No, son, I hadn't done that. I told your mother to do it. And besides, you know, I don't want you to get all excited about that, son. Uh, you know, uh, because um, that blood stuff, it's awfully messy. 
And uh, we, did, we decided that we're just going to, um, we're going to say some incantations and thumb through some beads. That'll do it. And you, the seven-year-old, you say, oh, no, 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 daddy. No, daddy. Yahweh. Yahweh has demanded blood. And Yahweh has said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Daddy, daddy, you must, you must go outside and, and paint the doorpost of our home with blood. And don't use olive oil. Don't use red wine. Because Yahweh, Yahweh has demanded blood. Or then you go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. On the holiest day of all of Israel, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and nobody in Israel would lift one finger. until the high priest had completed his work. And what was that work? Blood. Shed blood poured on the mercy seat. Gang, all I'm trying to tell you is that this whole emphasis that you're finding in the book of Hebrews, without the shedding, it's all throughout the Bible. It's one of the central motifs of the Bible. The Old Testament people had been told all of their lives that the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11. There's, there's one statement that I found just this week in, in Deuteronomy 12, and it, say, it, it says simply this, the blood is the life. There's a potency in blood unmatched by anything else. But not just because it's blood. There's, it's, it's not that blood has some kind of magical quality to it. It's only when that blood points to a sacrificed life. It's only when that blood has been forcibly extracted. Guys, do you want to know why liberal churches are empty or at least nearly so? It's because they hate this. What I am preaching to you this morning is hated. Ah, it's butcher shop theology, Jimmy Young. We don't need that business anymore. We're more sophisticated. And, and that's what we're going to offer our people over at the liberal church. We're going to order them, we're going to offer them something more intelligent, something more sophisticated, besides that, that, that blood. So they offer a, a more modern means by which sin can be managed. And yet I am, I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, could be wrong, but I'm convinced that they even, that even they know that the problem is still there. And I would say to you, that's why you find more roaches in those pews than people. Because atonement for sin, by the shedding of blood, is left out of their message. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, last half. 
ignored. To the point that if that's the way that I'm going to have to be saved, I would rather be damned. You know, guys, for me, for me to think that some act on my part could somehow cancel my sin um, is just the, it's the height of delusion. Um, it's, it's the very thing that Satan would have us to believe. And I would say to you, literally, there are billions of people who believe it. You? Could I repeat to you again this essential law of God's moral government? There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, guys, I realize that in the text, in verse 22, um, uh, you're, you're not given, you're not told in verse 22 whose shed blood is of infinite value in the courtrooms of God. But the Bible does, the Bible makes it very clear throughout it. In fact, we sing it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Gang, it is by Christ's shed blood that there is forgiveness of sin. But there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of Christ's blood. You believe that? You know what you've said. If you say you believe that, you know what you've said. All those religions that do not have shed blood in them, what does that say about them? You know, guys, it is easy to say, and, and it often is said, even by non-Christians, it is said, oh, you know, they say, uh, we're all sinners, and that we are. Then um, we all need to have our sin forgiven because as you all know god cannot stand sin in his presence his eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity so um tell me how will you put away yours what method will you choose you who readily say Oh, we're all sinners. I agree with you. Okay, if that's so, tell me again. What method will you choose to put away your sin? And as you choose a method, let me read to you one last time this essential law of God's moral government. It is found in these words. Without the shedding of blood, 
there is no forgiveness of sin. You know, guys, if, if I stood downtown at 201 Poplar, which is, for those of you who don't know, um, it's the jailhouse, and I told all those inmates in that jailhouse that a pardon could be gotten in a certain way, my bet is they would all do what the offer required of them. But for whatever your reasons are, you choose to refuse the gracious offer of a sovereign God. Tell me, why do you refuse? How good must this God be who demands shed blood and then provides it himself through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, remind every listener that there is a way by which undeserving sinful men like myself can be reconciled to you but it is um, it is through the embrace of the um, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that alone and father though there um, to the degree that I know this audience so many of them believe that and believe it passionately but if you have brought into this room this morning those who have not yet embraced that, would you cause them to see that according to your moral government, there is only one route to forgiveness? Might they choose that path, that method this day? Might they leave, there, leave here today having left the wrong path and having gotten on to the right one? by reaching out with the hand of a beggar to embrace the gift of a king. Do that, Father, um, for many. We ask it in Jesus' name.